You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Uh, we are back today with the usual cast of characters. I'm joined by Naya, who's back from her trip to Italy and ciao, ciao. the Sopranos Graham crew. Today we are talking about episode 12, the penultimate episode of season one, Isabella. The air date was March 28th, 1999. It was written by Mitchell Burgess and Robin Green, who are on a tear in season one. They're just writing all the good stuff. Uh, directed by Alan Coulter. HBO synopsis, hitmen are sent out to whack Tony, who comes out of his depression when he meets Isabella, an Italian exchange student staying next door. Title, Isabella is a name, obviously, of this Italian exchange student staying next door at the Cusamanos house. I'm going to Vic reach it. Is there anything else deeper meaning to the name Isabella? Is there any double entendre there? I looked up what Isabella meant because I was curious and thought there must be something more. And it means pledge to God, which I thought was interesting. And then Isabella was a very familiar name through various European queens and was even used in like a Shakespeare play. So it's kind of like an important name for Yeah, maybe, maybe there's a connection, queen, mother, matriarchal figure. So I had an alternate title for this episode, and it was Dark Mood. It's an expression that uh, Silvio says. Did anybody else have an alternate title? I had a brush with death uh, mm-hmm. because I vehemently disagree with the synopsis of the episode because I think it's Tony's failed hit that brings him back to life and turns him on a corner from his depression. I don't think it's meeting this uh, imaginary Italian girl. Ooh, I like that. You're going to be able to expound on that later? Absolutely. Okay. Um, Okay. I want to preface our discussion today by saying that Ten ultimate episodes in The Sopranos are significant. Many people have written about this already, but it is an original thought in that I it's one of the things that drew me to the show from the very beginning. You would get the finale served up to you on a silver platter every time, to quote Livia. Do you think that that's something that's carried on into today? I've noticed a lot of shows now have, if there's 10 episodes in a season, the ninth episode is the big one with the big twi- plot twist and cliffhanger. Game of Thrones is the best example of that. Yeah, totally. No, it's uh, another indicia that David Chase constantly broke formulas and rewrote rules and basically making, in many cases, a lot of times I like the penultimate episode more than I like the finale. A lot of times the finale is kind of like, eh, we kind of knew this was coming, but the penultimate sets it up and it's almost like an ace down the line. That's a fair special. The U.S. Open is on TV right now, and I've been watching it. So, quick topic A, you guys. A couple of little things. I have a bunch of little Vic reaches for you guys, too, and you can indulge them or not. Jimmy starts the show, Jimmy Altieri, and obviously we know what happens to Jimmy Altieri. We know how the story's going to go, but let's just pretend that we don't. Let's just pretend that we're living in the moment. He starts the show by telling Junior he always thought he had the, meaning the Brendan Fallone thing at the funeral parlor or at the wake or whatever it was. What is that called, by the way? It's not a wake. It's a viewing. Is there, there's a special term for that when you go and see somebody before the actual funeral. It, isn't that a wake? Is it a wake? I think it's okay. a wake. All right. He made the hand trigger at Junior, which was very bothersome to me, very disrespectful, doing that to the boss of the family. Was he fishing? Was he wired up? I think he was, and I'm firmly in the camp. And I know that there's some debate out there that I don't that I don't agree with that Jimmy may not have been a rat. I'm firmly in the camp that he is. 
But the, the weird thing is, why would he make a finger gesture if he's trying to get Junior to say something? Or was that gesture done just so that Junior would then be the person to say it out loud and get captured on tape? I think he's always wired in every situation that he's around that crew. I agree. I agree. I think it was it's just a peculiar place to even have that conversation and whether or not he was nervous and made hand gestures or he was doing it to get him to say something. It just was weird. He seems strange. Yeah, even Junior mentions him being a capo, he expected a lot more out of him and with enough knowledge of mafia dealings, there's certain things that are just never discussed and uh, Jimmy continually from the previous episode and this episode just digs his grave even deeper. Do you think that Junior is suspicious of Jimmy at this point? Because Tony hasn't talked to him yet about it. I, at least there's, the implication is that why would Junior be suspicious of Jimmy? He treated Jimmy as if he was suspicious. But my question for you guys is, what would tip Junior that something was off with Jimmy? His lack of professionalism yeah. from the conversation. Okay. Because you, you, you know what I'm getting at, right? Like, because there's... Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's a sit-down in the next episode where Junior gets all the information that he needs. And in this episode, it was as if he had, was already acting that he knew that information. I took it as Tony and Junior did have somewhat of a conversation regarding Jimmy being a rat because Junior does have a reaction to Jimmy doing that trigger finger and alluding to the hit that he did on Brendan Falone. So I... I, I kind of think that he he does know something is up with Jimmy. I think the the thing that you're referring to later on is the definite confirmation of it all where they gather together and and confirm it with each other. Quick topic B. I'm always fascinated whenever the show makes me smarter, when it gives me like a little history lesson, right? So uh, Silvio mentions Winston Churchill. Um, and the question that I posed for you guys was, did Winston Churchill really drink a quart of brandy before breakfast? I have some information on this if you guys don't, but does it, did any of you guys find anything on this? I found a doctor's note. Go for it. Tell me what you got. Uh, well, the note, I guess, was during his travel to uh, the U.S. in 1932 while Prohibition was still happening. And the note, in so many ways, says that he's allowed to drink for medicinal purposes uh, up to 250 milliliters of spirits or about a, a quarter liter. But uh, doing the math on that, that's like five, six shots per meal. Nuts. Three meals per day. I mean, the dude had to have been pretty hammered. Or maybe that was just his break even to get up in the morning. Dark mood. I found out there was this term that FDR referred to whenever he hung out with Winston Churchill. FDR referred to Winston's drinking as the Winston's hours. And what he meant by that was after hanging with Winston, FDR would need to sleep for the next three days to recover from the Winston hours. And it would start early and it would end late and it would never stop throughout the day. Like every meal, every meeting, every encounter. Uh, in the mornings, whiskey was his mouthwash. There so, was uh, something I saw, too, when he visited the White House for Christmas in 1941. Roosevelt had instructed his wife to make sure they were stocked up on brandy because that was his favorite thing. And then the only other funny one that I found is there's something called a Churchill martini, which <laughs> is gin poured over ice while vermouth is present in the same room. So it's just gin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's a great, <laughs> that's really great. great name for just a gin drink. I love it. Um, okay. Thanks for indulging me on that, guys. Quick topic C. It's not really a question. It's more of a statement. We mentioned penultimate episodes a moment ago, but the confidence to have the main character 
in the penultimate episode, Tony Soprano, in bed. We talked about this off mic before the guys got here, Naya. He was in a robe for most of the episode. And this is the signature show of HBO. And they're trying to like basically set the tone for what would become whatever it became. And they put Tony Soprano in a bathrobe. That's just confidence. I just love the statement they're making. Um, like, look, we're going to dream sequence the shit out of this show and we're going to keep him in a bathrobe and people are going to be talking about this 20 years later. So I think it was important to see him like that. It really advanced what we think about depression. That was the first time you really see it manifest into some sort of thing that you can actually see. You don't really get that. He talks about it with Melfi a lot in prior episodes and in uh, the following ones, but you don't really see what depression looks like. You see his depression manifests as anger, but that's that's real depression. Clin that's clinical depression. The first time we've seen a camera angle off kilter on somebody other than Vin McKazian when you see Tony in the bed and you see him laying vertically, I can relate to that. I'm sure at some point you guys can too. Like that, that's what it feels like when you don't want to get out of bed. Um, and uh, Soprano's autopsy articulated it much more beautifully than we will. But the point I'm, I want to drive home is that it, Justin actually said it perfectly that they showed depression, what, what depression looks like. And a testament to James Gandolfini to put on a performance on his back, basically. Yeah. Again, the confidence, man. Again, this is like fourth quarter. This is like, we got to win the game. We're going to put uh, Kawhi Leonard on the bench and we're going to win anyway. Or we're going to put LeBron on the bench, I should say. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioning that the main character is spending most of the show in bed as something that might take away from the episode. Do you think that that's inspired other showrunners to do the same? And I'm, I'm talking about The Wire in yeah. one of an, an entire season where the main character of the show is on a boat. And not even on the show. Not even yeah. on the show. Yeah. Justin, you segued us to our first topic, which is the big topic of depression um, and Isabella. A couple of things to set up the discussion real quick. The theme is obviously depression. Tony is on both Prozac and lithium, which I'll need an education on in a moment. Chris mentions depression to Silvio in the beginning. Silvio then explains it away on account of top guys. Churchill, we mentioned Napoleon. He also very authoritatively asks Chrissy what he knows about depression. Any thoughts on why Silvio's so concerned about the topic? Did that strike you guys as That did strike me, and that made me question, does Silvio have an issue with depression as well? Is Silvio seeing a shrink? Yeah. Oh, I was thinking. wow. Well, wow. And through my research uh, about Napoleon, I discovered and confirmed he was a moody fuck. <laughs> so do you remember when Tony's having the dream a few episodes back and he's like trying to avoid, he's trying to hide the fact that he's seeing Melfi and he sees Silvio and like it's a dentist's office. That's the connection to me for is Silvio seeing a shrink? Could that be a front? Yeah. Mm. Wasn't he going to the dentist? Well, dentist is a front. Is what, what, I'm, what I'm postulating. So you're saying that Silvio actually did see him? Silvio is seeing a shrink too, is my thesis. Oh. That's why he, because he, normally Silvio is very even keeled, guys. But when he mentioned the depression thing, he actually made a point to turn the camera locks on his face and he's like, What the fuck do you know about depression? Nothing, I'm just saying. That's Kind of like, do you know about me? Hmm. Like, did you, did you just figure me out? I'm anyway. just thinking of that now, too, because uh, later on in the series, uh, Polly makes mention to Silvio, how does this sit with you with the boss seeing a shrink? And yep. he's very defensive. And he goes, I sit on my ass or with both cheeks or whatever it is. But so, he's, he defends it. Yeah, Silvio is 
the most legit character in my opinion. He's he's the most loyal to Tony, the crew, the the Omerta. He does a lot of the dirty work, and he's the most thoughtful and pragmatic. And he has the best hair. Um, questions? Oh, wait a minute. No, let me go rewind again. There's another uh, allusion to depression where Meadow says she flat out tells uh, Tony that dad, you're depressed at dinner. So depression is just mentioned all over the show. It's laden in the show. And then Livia, which is a a great moment, she balks at depression. She does the whole speech where... How come my son's in a bathrobe? Is he sick? He's fine. Dad, you're depressed. Depressed? My father came to this country with 17 cents in his pocket and never made a peep. What's he got to be depressed about? Nobody threw him into the glue factory and sold his house out from underneath him. Isabella, who's played by the actress Maria Cucinotta, was that decent? Mm -hmm. Um, A Sicilian actress. She was a Bond girl, you guys. She was in The World Is Not Enough. Questions. I'm going to do the note. I have a couple of notable music moments. I really nerded out on the music on this one, but I'm going to do uh, a couple of questions just because I feel like they're timely. Uh, the first couple are for Dr. Justin. Um, is being on Prozac and lithium at the same time aggressive, in your opinion? It's aggressive, but it's pretty common, or at really? least it, it, it used to be. And Although I'm not a psychologist, I'm definitely not a psychiatrist. <laughs> and and you know what? But just, let me t- let me take yeah. a moment to just break down what the differences are because I I've kind of noticed a lot of people don't know. So a psychiatrist is somebody who's went to med school and then taken a specialty in psychiatry, which allows them to have talk therapy and prescribe medicine to people with certain mental illnesses. Psychologist is somebody who goes to school either to to study mental illness or to treat people for mental illness with just talk therapy. Talk therapy. And I did not go to school for psychiatry. So I might not be the best person to ask, but I do know that lithium and Prozac can have uh, a reaction where you can overdose in serotonin. And that can lead to a a multitude of symptoms, but for the sake of what we're talking about now with the show, confusion and hallucination are definitely a part of that. So I don't know how, how, where on the spectrum of hallucination this would take you, where you'd see somebody that isn't really there and have full on conversations with them, but that's definitely a symptom that you could experience. Is Isabella a symptom? If so, Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> On the uh, hallucination, uh, in the show, if you're watching the episode for the first time, you're immediately sort of thinking that she is a hallucination. It, the sequence is too dreamy. But uh, Carmela seeing Isabella as a nice piece of misdirection for anyone that was starting to wonder during the show. But uh, I have a Vic reach for you, Vic. Um, did you notice in that scene Carmela was wearing sort of a sharp... Melfi style blue pantsuit. And I, I wondered if that was part of Tony's fantasy and what you thought. Interesting. I actually did notice the pantsuit too. I was thinking I was thinking Hillary Clinton when I saw her. But she had the her she had her hair tied back. I pay attention to the hair too, as you notice. Yes. She also had clear nail polish in that scene. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> um the uh no, I, I so what I'll say about it is that this episode actually weaves in and out of dream sequences uh and reality seamlessly. 
There's no setup. There's no transition. It just flows from one state to another. Again, for me, the word that I use is, is it, it demonstrates like this immense confidence in the story and also respect for the audience. Like, I don't need you to tell me what we're in. Like, I'll figure it out. I actually forgot that she was a dream because um, I hadn't watched season one in a while. It's so good at making you think that he sees Dr. Kuzumano's house guest, which I have a question about in a, in, a, in a few minutes. But the weaving in and out of reality, I think, was part of the part of the strength of the of the episode because it's a, a very major, significant thing happens to Tony. But in the meantime, we're on a tightrope. We don't know yeah. what the hell's happening. Oh, also, Justin, uh, Dr. Justin, is aromatherapy the next course of treatment if Prozac and lithium are ineffective? <laughs> maybe. Is there maybe, anything to that? Maybe uh, if he has the right combination of essential oils, he <laughs> might be able to get through it. I feel like, have you ever, have any of you guys ever tried aromatherapy? What the, What is that? A little bit, just because it, it opens your sinuses. It's like smells, so it'd be like mint or eucalyptus or it's different scents. Group question, why is Chris concerned following T to begin with? He, we see him in the scene where he's in Tony's kitchen, which is rare. Chris is not often at the house in the morning, which is something that I want to point out. And then he actually follows him. Where did this come from? Well, one, are we sure that he's not at the house early in the morning often? Because doesn't he even say in that episode, I usually drive you? Yeah, yeah. but how many times have we actually seen him at the house is what I'm saying. Like, True, true. I'm, I'm using a little foresight here. Yeah, I, I connect this episode with Chris to, I think it's the th Tennessee Moltisanti episode. I, I'm not sure which one it is, but it takes it back to when Tony and Chris are having their initial car ride talking about depression and Tony makes that gesture with his with a gun to his mouth talking about suicide. So maybe Chris is, Chris is obviously concerned about Tony because that's a father figure to him, but I think he's specifically worried about him hurting himself in some way, some self-harm. Well, and to your point, Vic, like, I think one of the th great things about this show and in, in this season into the next is all the way up to the end, we're constantly reinforced that there's a history that we haven't seen, that there's things happening between seasons and even between episodes. And we're only with these characters for like a brief part of their lives. So uh, that's the magic of David Chase's writing that at that single comment of, well, I'm, I'm here, I drive you most of the time kind of reinforces it that. It unlocks a whole Pandora's yeah, box of stuff that we don't this see. This universe that we just assume because of small kernels of information that we get. There's a lot of show happening in the stuff that we don't see. Okay, another thing that bothered me, why didn't Melfi pick up earlier that Isabella was, was imaginary? Why didn't she figure out that he was, that she was an imaginary thing sooner? Um, she knows the Kuzumanos. She knows the house guest. They don't have a house guest. And she's a clinician and the way that Tony was describing her, any thoughts on that? Is there anything there? The Carmela story, I think, for the audience mm -hmm. and for her, reinforces if he's introducing conversations with family members and things of that nature that she just assumes this is the happenings. Because that's what she, she asked. She said, didn't Carmela see her out the window, right? Yep. And he was like, yeah, I guess. I found one error in this episode. Uh-oh. I love yeah. airs. It's the scene where the maid comes in to, to remind him where they flip the camera, which I was so excited to talk about that dolly thing. But then I saw her tape mark on the floor for the maid. You can see her mark yeah. because they shot it on film. And like, if you don't have marks for people, the focus is so hard. And then you see the end of the set, that, that black ceiling. Oh. It's like a soundstage, which Crazy. I was like, oh, 
Oh my God, I've seen this episode so many times and I can see the maid's mark. This is amazing. It was so fun. I liked it. There's two more that I know really? of. There's a oh. shadow of a boom mic when you see Meadow and uh, AJ at the hospital. Yeah. Okay. And then there's some continuity issues with the cigarette when Tony's in the car with Melfi where it starts not lit, then it's half lit, then it's more lit. Like it's a. I love it. Yeah. I love it that you guys did. This makes me so happy. Uh, Vic Reach that I had for this scene, Tony's awake. So he's in bed in the beginning and he's awake and he's staring blankly at, at the wall. When he hears Carmela entering the room, he quickly closes his eyes. Kind of like you would do when you're trying to like hide something or fake it. Do you guys have any, any, did you notice that? A, B, was he faking it out of fear? Like, is he afraid to leave the house because of pussy? Like maybe he thinks he's a target or... That, that was what my takeaway. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Why did he close his eyes abruptly when Carmela walked in? I just would imagine if I heard Carmela's heels coming down the hallway, I would close my eyes too, <laughs> especially if I haven't gotten out of bed yet. It's two for two on validating my otherwise nonsensical. <laughs> uh, okay, I want to jump back to the music moments real quick. There's two big ones. The, the song when he first sees Isabella, and it's a song that kind of just like soaks the show up. It's Tiny Tears by Tinder Sticks. It's a beautiful song. I listened to it three times this week in my car just to like validate its perfection. The music of this band appears again in the penultimate episode of the series. So I wanted to just thread a needle. Like that was a no look pass. The last, the, the episode with the trains, the train tracks, they're in the, that episode. And that's a, a penultimate episode where major significant things go down as well. I um, thought it was a very interesting, significant choice of music. The second musical thing is a personal thing. During the lunch with Isabella, the background music is by a guitar virtuoso named Al DiMiola. He was part of a great guitar trio album called Friday Night in San Francisco, which featured him, Paco De Lucia, and John McLaughlin uh, and me personally, it's probably one of my top three all-time live recordings. So uh, Al Miola is Italian. Uh, he was born in Jersey. And it's a beautiful music, esoteric musical choice by David Chase. Um, if you guys haven't heard that album, by the way, I highly recommend it. It's really good music. Okay, the hit on Tony, topic two. The two key moments that I have are the, bo the first botched attempt and then the second botched attempt. This is a reach, but... It sets up a very ominous notion that there will be a third attempt and that the third time will be the proverbial charm. Um, I just want to lay that out there. We have a couple of new characters. Donnie Paduana, rest in peace. His Murder, Inc. enterprise didn't work out quite as nicely as Lepke's did, but he's the guy who was the liaison between Mikey and getting a hit on Tony. He's the guy who hired out. What do you think of his killing, by the way? You think Junior was a little... I don't like it. I was just surprised. I forget the other guy's name. It's Mikey and the other oh, Chucky. 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 How Chucky just told him to wait, and then he didn't get it suspicious. Was, yeah, there was just no reaction, and that I was like, man, they're so hardcore. I always like to see the loyalty that Mikey has for Junior. He tried to justify, hey, we can count on this guy. He had within reason. Like, listen, there were witnesses. We want to do it right. And the whole challenge reminded me of some video game, like. The challenge is uh, to kill the mob boss, and the bonus objective is not in the face. There were all of these stipulations, yeah. so it was difficult. Uh, but then to have unwavering support from uh, Mikey. Mikey just to, okay. It was such a 
split-second decision that Junior made to tell Mikey to do it. Do you think if, what's his name? Donnie? Donnie. If Donnie had left, do you think that the hit would still be out for him? You think if Junior said, I don't like it, I don't like it, and he was already gone, Mikey would have hired somebody to take a hit out on him? Or do you think that would have been that? I mean, granted, this whole scene started with Junior throwing up outside Which the car, the right? Like, that's how that. it started. He throws up, and then he... Uh, then it, like, yeah, it's... And Mikey's like, let's do it. You know, it's... Which reminds me of another continuity error. The throw-up <laughs> is not on the ground when the car drives away. You can see it? You yeah, can see the there's mention that on it on a couple forums. Up on that. Well, my <laughs> thing with the throw-up wow. was honestly, like, the volume wasn't significant. It was almost like a bile discharge. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you like, think he's sick over the decision? Yeah, to, absolutely. Okay. He's sick. It's, 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 but it's not his that bro- sick. It's his brother's son, which is, again, what we go back to. Like, he's old school, man. This is Johnny Boy's son. And I again, it, it's, it, it'll conflict me about the show to the end of my days because it, Livia is the mother and Junior is his uncle and they are both colluding to do this. I just can't get over it. For what? You know, they're both at the end of their chapters. Like... It just doesn't, it doesn't equate for me. It's too extreme, but, you know. Sort of a side info only because we're mentioning uh, Donnie getting shot. Yeah. Uh, when we make memes with our starter kits, for, which are a very famous segment that we do within our memes, I always do uh, extensive research on the type of gun that that particular character used. And I discovered that this uh, Sig Sauer P228 is a gun that we see quite frequently in the show. And it starts with uh, Mikey Palmisi shooting Brendan Fallone uh, when they did that and hired the Russians to rough up uh, Christopher in the Meadowlands. Polly uses a suppressed six-hour P228 when he kills uh, Gallegos. The Colombian? Uh, the Colombian. Tony takes another P228 out of the ceiling during the indictments of Legends of Tennessee Moltisanti and hides it in the hat box. At how did you how Green did you Grove. ID that gun? That was a quick There's a there's Your a Wikipedia the page that, oh, okay. that focuses on all of this. Okay. Um, but it was just the frequency of this particular gun. And then even later on, there's a very prominent death on a main character that dies at the hand gun. of this this gun. I love it. Um, um a notable line, subtle, but again, it's humor in the midst of misery and, and murder. Uh, Mikey P reaches in the back seat to Junior after he pukes and he says, Junior, mince. This could be a reach on my end, but uh, that reminds me of a surprise, or not surprise, of a Seinfeld episode. Okay. Just, there's a whole entire episode dedicated to Junior Mints. Oh. And them being offered and everybody always accepting them because right. how can you turn down a Junior right. Mint? It's like it's an outfit almost, yeah. I thought also my little Vic reach was when Tony came downstairs and Olivia Olivia was like, oh, that in that breath. And like, which could be he just hasn't brushed his teeth yet, but also the whole symbolism of like teeth and decay and like in dreams as we maybe find out, like having a dream where your teeth fall out is a sign that you're losing control in your life. And this is kind of like the prequel of that, in my opinion, where everyone's gums are rotting and everyone's going to die and Junior has bad, like, his breath is bad because he's sick. Like, he's actually sick. So it's just this weird metaphor of everyone is, like, their time is running out in some weird way. It's interesting, too, because of uh, Isabella studying... She's a dental A student. dentist she or she oral surgery. Yeah. yeah. And uh, gum thing. tumors. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Usually, Could- like, the sign of death is, like, an angel. Sometimes, like, it's this... 
Just the come la- through the archway to the Kuzumano yard. He nice passes through there, the yeah. archway. Couple of stylistic and technical observations before I throw some questions at you guys. The cut to scene of the assassination attempt of the sky framed by trees blowing in the wind uh, before the hit, it's both beautiful and ominous, right? Um, and very reminiscent of later imagery in future seasons. It's a it's a common device that they use in the show. Uh, we actually saw it recently in a similar, there's a similar skyward gaze in college right after Tony deals with Frank Peters or Fabian Petrullio. Uh, I just thought it was a great scene. And then the Godfather nod, which I only found out after reading, if any one of you guys wants to jump in on this, the, the OJ, what's the deal with the OJ? Did you, did you get the connection? That, yeah, that's an homage to the Godfather. Beautiful. When Vito Corleone gets his first assassination attempt, he's at the market with a bag of oranges. Amazing. And later on, spoiler alert, he he dies eating oranges playing with uh, Michael Corleone's son. You caught that one too? That's really cool. So there, there's two uses. What, what you did, we were talking about it. You found out some stuff about oranges. Yeah. Or the color I, orange. I was just looking because something else I noticed was Tony was wearing a red bathrobe in this episode versus white, which I thought was interesting. And red, you know, obviously is passion, but it's also danger and the color of blood, which later, you know, he gets shot at. And orange, it represents happiness, determination, and orange trees are a symbol of love, but it also indicates strength and endurance. And I was, I commented to her how it's so interesting that it means all those things, but then you juxtapose it with murder. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. The contrast. Do you think this is where Tony had his aversion to orange juice with high pulp? Because well, he likes it with yeah, some, pulps. Yeah. some pulp. Maybe he liked it with high pulp, and then he had a, a trigger g- almost getting assassinated. <laughs> well, it's then, also on the counter with him and Chrissy talking. So just this presence of orange juice or oranges somehow where death is present in some weird way, if that's what it's, it's going to happen. Um, nothing above the neck was the order, right? The second shot of the guy that comes around the vehicle, the bullet brazed his ear, and it hit his colleague in the face. So what the fuck? I, I think at that point, it probably wasn't going as planned for those guys. So maybe, maybe we can cut them some slack <laughs> on their aim. Okay. <laughs> look, it just was... So what did you guys feel? How did you feel about it? Like, look, I, obviously we want Tony to live, but how did they fuck that up? Like, how did it... How they did, weren't very good. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I go back to Donnie. Like, look at who who hired them, you know. He's, yeah, good he's, point. He's a weirdo, you know. Okay, good point. Jenny right. didn't like him. These are the guys he just found in a Taurus. Like, let's let's see what they can do. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they couldn't get him the first time. Chris was in the way. I, I guess their getaway with car was blocked, but... Right. I mean, they, they weren't very good at their jobs. So. No, not at all. Livia's in on it. We know this, when we, and we'll see it even come and rear its head later in the episode. When she's in line with Junior to attend the show, he feels bad for the kids, but she doesn't. Uh, she almost wants him gone more than he does. And I'm just going to throw the question out, why again? Like, why is she so anti-Tony? Well, I think that from him neglecting her by putting her in the home, not letting her move in with him, which she thinks is the way that it should be. I I think of this as more of, we, we know that they obviously both want him dead, but what strikes me more is Junior's aversion to it. Every time this, this hit is brought up, 
he's tries to change the subject. So you can go back to that that wake in the first mm-hmm. ep- the first scene of this episode where Mikey's trying to tell him what's going on and he he talks about how the the deceased person gave him his first hand job. Then he talks about prayer cards and baseball cards and you know how much do you guys think a, a Jesus rookie card would be worth? Thousands of bucks for Honus Wagner and jack shit for Jesus, huh, Mike? <laughs> and would a Jesus rookie card be baby Jesus? Oh, that'd be a special one. <laughs> Junior always changes the subject on things. He does it twice. He changes the subject on Jimmy and he changes the subject on Mikey when Mikey's telling him that everything's like in the bag, it's going to happen, everything's fine. And then he changes the subject again on Livia. What is this? Anything in psychology that you can speak to on this? Or is he just an uncertain leader? Do you guys make anything of it? Does it bother you? I think you? It it's me neither off. one of those. I, I think he didn't want to discuss it because he doesn't want to be liable for the hit. And the less he knows, the better. Uh, when he delegates, he delegates. And then also, uh, there was the conversation he has, and it says, let's stop talking about it. The decision's been made. And I think he's he's made peace with his decision, and he may have to live with it, but I, I think he doesn't want people to change their mind, or there's nothing to discuss. It, the hit's on, it's happening. And when he delegates, he delegates. He I, don't delegates. Think he's a, I don't think he's at peace with it at all. I think it's the opposite. I think he's really uncomfortable with yeah. it. And if he has a chance to talk about it at all, he might just change his mind. I promise. Enough. I don't want to hear any more. Jesus, Michael, if I delegate, I delegate. I think he doesn't want to do it because he knows in his heart of hearts that Tony's running shit and this whole pygmy thing of theirs is being held up by Tony. And that if Tony's gone, New York's just going to take all their shit. New York's going to take over their whole, all their action. And uh, Junior knows it's going to be the end of their thing. That's just my theory. He realizes that he can't hold it together, that he actually needs Tony. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's it. I, I, I don't think he wants to put this head on his, his nephew, his brother's son. I, I think Tony's really just forced his hand. The fake power the oral sex talk and insulting him meeting behind his back at green grove and the insults to his mother which junior obviously opposes he's he's just forced tony or tony's forced junior to do this he doesn't really have a choice or else he's just looked at as someone who's soft as someone who's weak i agree i think you know both livia and junior love tony and i mean she still eats at his house like she still comes over for, for the last di- time oh I suppose it would be better if I never opened my mouth. Grandma, how could it be a joke if you're crying? Oh, I mean, this is really the last time. I am never coming back to this house. <laughs> well, let's see. You know, it's it's so interesting, the contradicting opinions they have. They love, she loves his son. We go see him, my only son. And then it's the opposite. Like, they go back and forth. They're so bipolar. And I think that's, you know, family you love and hate him. And I believe Tony pushed him to have to make this decision, you know? My mother's been coming to visit me for the last time since 1998. <laughs> um, I have a reach, but I'm curious. They show the camera. Again, I pay attention to the frame. I pause the frame and stare at it intensely uh, more than I should. Tony's talking to Melfi. Tony is in the hospital with, with, uh, with FBI agent Harris. You see the blood pattern on his face. Any thoughts on the blood pattern? Like, is that... How, how did I, it, I think it's uh, 
he got into a car accident. That's why he was hurt. He didn't get shot. I don't, or at least I don't think so. I think it was glass from the accident. You don't think the bullet brazed his ear? I don't think so. I, I could be wrong. I think the bullet brazed, yeah. hit his ear because he had to sew it back. But I think oh, right. he got. Is it shrapnel? Most of it from Is the it bullet shrapnel? Do bullets have, like that close I, range have shrapnel? I thought it was like glass splatter from That's the car accident. That's what I thought oh, on his okay. cheek was from okay. the accident, but his ear was from the bullet. Glass explains it satisfactorily mm-hmm. for me. I like that. I Okay, because I was just like, kind of like... There, it, was it was very like, it was a artistic, yeah. There, there were nine marks, yeah. I counted, and... <laughs> And I was like, wait a minute, come on. Like, why are you showing this? Like, what is the reason? And I counted, and then I have another thing that I counted, which is a crazy victory. Well, I did uh, extensive research on blood splatter Splatter? patterns. I love you. This is why I love you. There's passive stains, transfer stains, and projected or impact stains. And I'm in the school of thought because we didn't see a full live action, like no removal of frame away from Tony, that that was an impact stain from moving the guy's bloody head away from him because the impact happens. He still has blood on his cheek. He's in the hospital getting stitches, and then he has these little fragments. But the source, unknown. Could it be glass? Could it be shrapnel? We need Dexter. We need Dexter. (laughs) We do need Dexter. I didn't even think about that. We should have asked him. Right. I didn't like Tony's shirt in that scene. The lime green (laughs) shirt really... I was actually going to look. We were talking about Nike earlier. Was he wearing Nikes in that scene? Is that what saved him? Probably. Those little white shoes. Would he he wear Nikes today? That's what I'm asking. (laughs) I think Tony Soprano would probably have burned his Nikes with Angie Bopincero and Pussy in there. By the way, Weber we're all grill. wearing Nikes today. I just want to point that out. Nia's got the Nike socks on and we all have Nikes on. So what, <laughs> without getting political, whatever that means, we just want to well, make a point that If you all... saw our recent post, I think we've made our, our stand. <laughs> um, okay, uh, no, leave the, we'll leave the hit. Let's move on to Agent Harris real quick. It's like a mini topic. Um, but Agent Harris comes in right after this whole thing happens and he basically says, look, I'm going to give you guys full immunity from prosecution. First of all, I it's, it's a throwaway question, but I'll ask it anyway. If you were Tony, would you have taken that deal? Okay, so if I'm Tony, or if I am myself in that situation, I take it. If you're a fucking rat, wait, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. If I'm if I'm Tony in the show and I'm where I'm at, where he's basically the de facto capo, mm-hmm. right? Even though Junior is the figurehead, he's really running things. So I think he can get away with this. But if the the boss is really gonna put a hit out on you. And you're a low le- low level member. Let's say you're Silvio, and Junior puts out the hit. You know that another hit's coming. You have no choice but but to run away, right? I wanted to find out. I couldn't find out because I'm not very good at searching things. How many people take would like take that offer? Like, That's a good question. I would be curious to find out how many people do take that. If that- I feel like more do then don't because like Tony says very few people have the uh, you know they can handle the penal experience yeah that's the line and even you know some of the other characters we meet later they say the new generation has no backbone and they're all snitching on certain things this isn't even necessarily ratting to get out of the jail time this is this is different I don't I don't know if this This is is really considered ratting because this is you just trying to protect your life your your family members quote unquote are the ones that are trying to kill you and you're just trying to protect your life and your real family. But I think the trade was that we'll give you this, but you have to you have to give us dirt on the on the. No, the, yeah, allocution, they have a, test, a 
Yeah, they have to, <laughs> sure, sure, but but isn't the family isn't La Cosa Nostra not holding up their end because they're taking somebody out that's part of their crew? I think we're making a lot of assumptions because Tony didn't really know and he doesn't until a subsequent episode later that it is Junior that put the hit on. Um, and you see this sort of interaction in FBI and crime and a lot of different movies. And even I, I noticed if you guys have watched Ozark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Season one, there's a great uh, scene where Jason Bateman and Laura Linney's character are approached by the FBI with the threat of oncoming violence. And I, I think anyone in this position and seasoned couple like this that's comparable together of all the crimes just knows. I mean, it, you've gotten into this situation. There's When you join this, there are very few ways out and ratting on your friends is not one of them, Justin. Did you guys finish season two of Ozark yet? I did, I did. yesterday. You finished it last night too. Yeah, yeah, really good. He dies at the end. Um, <laughs> you gotta stop with that, man, because you actually like you actually messed with me on one of them. I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, on uh, on Sicario too. I, I was like, I was I was like jonesing to watch it. Um, last question on Agent Harris. Uh, AJ, when AJ and Meadow were having a moment on the couch together, a sibling moment in fear after their parent after their dad just got shot. Um, Polly and Silvio walk in kind of like, you know, sternly they hug. And then AJ says to Meadow, which in kind of a throwaway line, like, they look kind of weird. I don't believe it was a carjacking. What did he mean by that? I think you need to lay off the lithium, Vic. <laughs> Discontinue the lithium, Vic. <laughs> uh, I do have a fun fact. The girl that played AJ's date, uh, her name is Robin Fusco. Uh, maybe mispronouncing that too. But uh, most notably known for her work in Stepmom in 1998, my personal favorite, Math Warriors in 2012. And ironically, she went on to be Miss New Jersey in 2003. Wow. Amazing. That's a good one. <laughs> Got him again. He, he, uh, he, he takes it seriously, man. I love it. I love it. I, he's a, I don't. I can't hold it in. I I don't have yeah. a straight face. But Miss I don't New Jersey is not true. Yeah, that's the line that they say oh, in the really? show. Oh, the future Miss oh, New Jersey. Right. By the way, the the nothing's gonna top the second cousin of David Chase because you actually got me. I was so blown away when we were live recording that I didn't hear you tell me that it wasn't true. I found out it wasn't true in the edit, and that's oh, when that's so great. That's I'm when it up like whoa, I am now. it didn't land. Like I thought you'd be like, "Ha ha, so funny." And then you're like, "Wow." I'm like, "All right, well, we won't say anything." Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That was good. That was a, that was a, it's gonna be a hard one to top, though. Final topic before we do some miscellaneous questions on last call. Livia fakes dementia. Is she faking? Yes. Easy, I think, right? I think this is another one of those those mysteries of the show that you don't really find out. I think your your initial your initial thought is that she's definitely just faking. But I How think did she come up with the notion to fake so quickly. That's Well, I think I think Melfi gives it a little bit of validation when she says, "Well, even though or is, is it Melfi or is it a character that we'll meet in the next season? I I don't remember exactly, but they say that even though she's not necessarily having a real stroke or losing her mind, she's experiencing some sort of a traumatic event in her head and the symptoms are the same. So I, I'm not necessarily sure. I think initially you you're, you go right to, okay, she's full of shit, she's faking it, this is just uh, quit it with the drama, another one of her just overreactions. But 
She's a survivor, though, and she's always been so many moves ahead of everyone. You could call her Bobby Fisher. It's, it's pretty chess, calculated. Not yeah. checkers. Winning is obviously very important to you. Now, winning for winning's sake is important. But do you like to beat another man? Yeah, I do. Yes, I like to beat another man. <laughs> well, you smile about it. Yeah. You like to crush another man's ego? Uh-huh. So when they go home that night, you know, they know that they're... They can't kid themselves that they're so hot, you know. But funny enough, now that I think about it, and I can relate to what you're saying, Justin, but um, you see this with uh, Junior in a later season where this onset of dementia, is it by design or is it just bad luck? Junior. Junior, Junior, Junior. Junior's wearing a members-only jacket. You guys catch that? Okay, good. When he walks in to confront Livia about the fake dementia at Green Grove to call her out on it. That's observation number one. The other thing that I have, observation slash question, is that Livia, we find Livia digging under the bed, okay? Which goes back to my whole thing a few episodes ago where I was like, how has she not found the stash that Tony hid in her closet yet? She does nothing but dig around in her room and she hasn't found it. So those are the two things. There's two big Easter eggs any thoughts, any comments, any observations on either of those? No? Fucking A. What are you guys hatching she up She is over always there? under the bed, though. She really is under the bed. She looks under the bed a lot. More, in the, more than up in the closet, I would imagine, though. Yeah, but it's like she's like just going through things yeah. and like organizing or whatever. The Marie Kondo method, you know, men, <laughs> get rid of stuff. You Where's know, my favorite moo moo? It doesn't, it, if it doesn't spark joy, throw it out the window. I would do that at least, if I was living in a, at Green Grove, I'd be doing that once a week, right? I heard, okay, this, this is actually a little bit of an issue because we got scolded while you were gone for our pronunciation of Gumar. Gumad. Gumad. It's G-O-O-M-A-D. But... Gumar? On record, Gumar, like Christopher in this episode says the word Gumar, pronounced G-U-M-A-R. I watched it. I rewound it. I watched it. I rewound it. Christopher says M-A-R, okay? The side boo, right? The side boos, the Gumar. Yeah, the side okay. boos. I love yeah, that. okay. And HBO- They're both right. Closed captioning, spelled it G-U-M-A-R. It's both. This rocked Justin's world last week. It did. It's rocked my world ever since I prepared for this. What is it? Can we say either or? It's both. I truly believe it's both. It's a dialect thing. It's like a hua or a whore. Like it's Got it's it. just a dialect. Thank you. I, hope- I would stand behind that. And I'm sure people think one is right and one is the other. But I feel like gumar, if you're in it, if you want to be in it, is okay. But I feel like if we're, since we're a little bit removed from it, I feel like gumar is a safer place to be. Gumar yeah. sounds like a formal proper way, but a gumar or like a gumar. gumar. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that in the many scenes of Newark, we get to the bottom of this. Well, I, I looked it up and there was an H at the end of the one that I saw. What closed captioning are you watching? That's how I, that's well, how I, I, I looked up the definition of the Italian-American slang for that's mistress. I, it's Guma, G-O-O-M-A-H. Guma. Plural is Gumas. Gumad. Then I did some research and there's a long-standing issue with closed captioning. Uh, in the industry. In spellings? In oh yeah, spellings. there's a bunch of, there's a, yeah, I was watching it with the Ozark, we just mentioned Ozark, there was like, like three or four errors in Ozark alone, in, in, and this is a current show. The Italian word Isabella 
como se dice when she says, how do you say what she's holding? And it's biancaria, I'm not going to say it right either, um, but which means linen, like it's a linen camisole. And that's okay. what she can't say in English. And I was like, what is that? What is she trying to say? And he's like, that makes two of us. But it's yeah. her linen shirt. Because she's a projection of him. Biancaria, yeah. Oh. She only knows what he knows and vice versa. I think she's God, maybe. Interesting. <laughs> pearly gates. That's who you see at the pearly gates, man. It's all good. <laughs> Before um, you go to hell, maybe. End credits. The song, I Feel Great Free song. by Cream, for which, of course, for those that don't know, is a popular band that Eric Clapton was once a part of. The song was covered as a Gregorian chant. And that version is actually quite good. I don't know if you guys are into Gregorian chants or not, but they actually have a really good version of it. And it has also been covered by the likes of David Bowie and the Foo Fighters. So good stuff. Really good really musical great. episode for the penultimate. My last comment for you guys or thought um, before we do last call is that the final scene, which is a beautifully framed scene of Tony in the backyard with the trees looking up and he kind of has this moment where he's actually happy. He's out of his depression, which I thought was really cool. It shows him standing in front of six pool reclining chairs. And to me, the first thing that went through my mind was six seasons. The final two chairs were a little removed from the first four. And mm. that, to me, represented the gap wow. in time. Wow. Part one and part two chair? Of six, six seasons and like a that? movie? <laughs> That's all I got. Wow. Did we leave anything on the table? Did we miss anything? Any? I came so heavy with some reaches that they may be called John reaches now. You, you guys didn't notice the six pool chairs? No, no I didn't. Up in a no, row? I did. That's all. I I'm going to go back and watch that. It's beautiful, right? I mean, I don't know if you knew it was going to be six seasons. That's an HBO money thing. But it was a nice... And then the offset, you know, to get, you know, not to like, get relevant with like Cardi B and offset, but every time I say offset now, I think of that. Really I use that word way more than I should. And every time I say offset, I feel like there's like a song going on, like Migos is going on in my head. Um, but it was, if, if it was, then it's just another sign of David Chase knowing that I'm going to be done. Whether or not they want me to go more, I'm done at six. Wow. So let's go, John. What are, what so, are your reaches? I'm going to mention a scene and see what you guys think the meaning is or if this is a, a crossover. So during the scene in the kitchen when Christopher's talking to Tony, you can hear this faint dripping indicating that Tony might still be sitting in the shower daydreaming or I'm kind of open to ideas on what that sound is. When Tony was what now? When ta Tony's in the, in the kitchen and Christopher's talking to Tony. He's concerned. If you listen, go back. There's a, a faint dripping sound and they're in the kitchen. So I don't think it's from the sink and it has an echo to it. So it's uh, some of the research of like what people think is that Tony might have still been sitting in the shower daydreaming and that that conversation with Christopher was a dream state. I thought it was interesting in that same scene. I didn't know if it was real or not because Tony asked what time it is. And as we know later, a time three o'clock is mentioned very like a lot. And Chrissy is the one who says something about a certain time and it's 2.30. So it's almost three o'clock. And so to me, it was like, that's just weird that that's even brought up time in some strange sense. And Chrissy's there and then future things happen where this time is mentioned at a certain time and it's right before his doctor's appointment. So I would think that if there is a dripping sound that it's, it's all weird and there's orange juice lying out. It's just setting it up. Whenever I think of uh, three o'clock, I think of Polly. Three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> totally. 
Uh, the other the other thing is no one talked about the wind in this episode, and there's some significant the trees. Well, there's wind at the movie theater in their hair. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's also wind when he is Isabella. getting uh, well, Isabella with the wind, and then also he's getting orange juice, and they, he comments on the wind while he's buying that orange juice. So, where's your mind going with that? I don't. I mean, that's what I was kind of asking you guys. Um, is that a a character placement of a theme or a mood? I mood. think, yeah. I would buy, I, I subscribe to mood because wind he suggests change. Wind suggests drama. Like it's today struggle. is a moody day in LA, right? It's cloudy, it's a little breezy. Wind suggests stuff going down. For me though, it's it's the swaying branches and the always looking upward. That's That would be my connection to it. But the wind was heavy. I didn't realize that it was like, I, I thought about it lightly with Isabella, like, what the fuck? Why, why is her dress blowing? But then when it's a, my throwaway thought was that he's dreaming, he's fantasizing about her, and you're basically just seeing the wind blow up against her body. So that was what that was. But you make it seem a little bit more I think it's because he's depressed. Like, wind would be, he can't see everything in front of him. It's like a obstacle ah. in a way. And, like, even her camisole shirt, she baited him. Like, he found it first. You know, he wanted to go out and see it. You know, he saw her from the window, but then... She threw like something was there. Everything was plotted, and the wind, everything. He's he's lost, and then at hey. the end, he looks up, and the trees are just in the way. But he doesn't seem like he's affected by the wind. What did you think of uh, Carmela's gym fashion in this episode when so he confronts good. her about the if, whether they had the encounter? So good. Her good. looks she are was great. Killing it, right? Yeah, she was. This it's, was a- it's crazy because even like. Those lyrics, we were talking about the music earlier yeah. too, but even Carmela, she's wearing a blue suit, like you said, the Melfi thing, but blue, and like this is a reach, like I was really into some color palette symbolism, like he's wearing a red robe, usually white, she's wearing blue, which is like the ocean and the sky, and she never really wears light, I mean she wears teal a lot, but a full light blue business suit I thought was really interesting. The two songs have ocean Are lyrics. all about ocean, and yeah. we learn later the ocean has a big whole to Tony for lots of reasons that are sentimental have to do with people too. So, and even down to the lyric, like Tiny Tears' first line, you've been lying in bed for a week now. I was just like, damn, this is so good. Perfect setup. A listener mentioned, uh, do you have any more? uh, uh, I've got one more. Okay. I'm going to save yours for last. A listener reached out to me and suggested that the, uh, on our last episode, we talk about whether or not the hall, you guys were like trying to quantify how big the hall was. Like, was it really that much money? And Tony's like, we got enough. One of them suggested that it was the money, the the funds from that went to buy a Stugatz and or a down payment for white caps later on, which, you know, it was nice if it is, if we can find some some, uh, Easter eggs that lead us to that conclusion. But um, I thought it was, it was a nice suggestion. I think I posted it as a story because I thought it was a legitimate angle but i forget um okay sorry i derailed what uh what is your other reach the last one uh is more of a a theme that i found on the internet and we'll call it the bell and this is the beginning reference and maybe it's a place marker for something we'll come back to in future episodes but in the conversation with isabella and tony at lunch in the dream lunch she mentions a bell when talking about italy and this is one of the many mentions and uses of bells throughout the series. Uh, in the episode From Where to Eternity, Polly gets paranoid when he hears wind chimes that resemble bells. 
In the fleshy part of the thigh, bells can be heard when Tony's leaving the hospital. The song Three Bells is also played in this episode. And then in Soprano's home movies, Tony hears and sees bells ring when he's sitting on the dock. And in the final scene of the series, Tony hears bells on the door of the restaurant and looks up before we'll leave it at that. But isn't that interesting that that's something really that I want to have us all look out for in future episodes? Bells. Bells. I would think that would go to s- some sort of psychology of like hypnosis or bells wake you up and wake you out of things, right? Have we seen bells prior to Isabel, uh, Isabella? Probably. I don't know. I might have to go back and look. We're going to pay attention now. We're going to have a bell segment. Maybe yeah. there's some Pavlovian connection where every time there's a bell, somebody goes bye-bye. Like that movie, uh, Get Out. Yeah, well, it's a, like a... The, it's like a tea stirring. What is that called? Like a, a, it's not a cue, but it's something else. Like Pavlov's dog? Pavlovian yeah. response? Yeah. Interesting. Your connection all the way to the end has... Put me in There's some a slight the, depression. The Buddhism <laughs> stuff too, I'm sure. <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of the bad bell, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. No, the members only thing is when I saw it on Junior, I was like, wow, yeah. And then I realized that my three third times a charm, the third assassination attempt, actually won't play out the way that I <laughs> wanted <laughs> because there's actually a couple other ones. But um, yeah, no, this is a great penultimate episode. I look forward to concluding. We're going to conclude season one next week, you guys. Wow. Oh my gosh. We have done wow. one season of Pot of Bang. Anything else? Anybody else have anything? Last final thoughts? I started looking up uh, Tony Soprano references in rap songs, and there's a lot. Did you guys realize that? I just wrote a lyric with him in it too, yeah. Snoop Dogg. Really? You put yeah. a lyric in one of your new songs? Sick. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, Snoop Dogg. In uh, the song Smoke, Gucci really? Mane on Brick Flair, Jay-Z on Beyonce's Crazy in Love. What? Rick yes. Ross on I'm Only Human, and Wycliffe John on Blood is Thicker Than Water all make direct reference to Tony Soprano. They say the words Tony Soprano. Yeah. I'm going to go listen to the Jay-Z one right now. Can you send me that list? Can you text it to me? Yeah. Awesome. We'll see you next week, guys. Just continue the lithium. Yeah.